0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the precious gift it is to have your word before us this morning. But Lord, we need your help if we are to understand, to comprehend what it says about your people in the past and what it says about your people today and how it can help us to serve the Lord Jesus Christ all the more fully. Lord, we pray that you may give us an abundance of your Holy Spirit's power this morning as we look into your word together and so that we may be able to indeed go from here servants of you who are able to serve you all the more fully and we pray this in jesus name amen well each morning when my son joshua he's three years old gets up one of his jobs his first job to do before breakfast is served for him is to open the blinds in the living room area he's taken to this job i encouraged him to do it at one point and he's taken to it fairly willingly and he often does it with a smile he knows it's his job so he pitter-patters down the hall and goes and opens the blinds in the living room. But sometimes when I request him to do it and remind him of the fact that it is his job, he's not so willing to open the blinds. And it ends up that I have to be the one who does his job for him and open those blinds so that we can have some light in the living room. And why is it that he doesn't want to open the blinds? Well, it's because he's got better fish to fry at that time of the morning. He's got other th- interests that are taking his heart elsewhere than his job that he's supposed to be doing. It could be uh, looking at books, looking at a toy that's been left out in the living room and didn't end up in his room so hasn't been able to play with it uh, during the night when he should be sleeping. It may be that he's looking at DVD cases, uh, admiring whatever's on there and maybe trying to choose one if he's going to get to watch something And it may be that he's more interested about his breakfast. He's trying to work out what it is he wants for breakfast that morning and he's going to change his mind a few seconds later. There's many reasons why he isn't interested in doing his job at that point in the morning. And that's the case for us when we recognise that we have jobs at different points and different stages in our lives. We often are not inclined to want to do those jobs, to work when we should be working. And that's the situation that Ezra has come to In this book that we've been looking at for a number of weeks now, we've been looking at Ezra and how he needs people to go back to the promised land and work to do their jobs. How did they get here? How did Ezra get outside of the promised land and the Israelites there and that they need to go back? Well... Uh, I should give a bit of a history, overall history, of how the Israelites got to this point. Of course, uh, God starts history of Israel with Genesis, doesn't he? He starts there with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, of course, from them we eventually get Abraham. Abraham has a grandson. His grandson's name is Jacob, a.k.a. Israel. And from Israel we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And eventually those 12 tribes... Uh, go out of slavery in Egypt where they end up there and they go into the promised land under the leadership of Moses and then Joshua is who leads them into the actual promised land. Of course, they don't stay in the promised land. Uh, they stay there for a time but they sin a lot and as a result of that sin they're sent into exile by God to the land of Babylon. And they have to stay there for a time but then God graciously allows them to return. And he does that through uh, the leadership of the king Cyrus. And that's at the beginning of the book of Ezra, we see the first wave of Israelites going back to the promised land, going back there to serve God as they should by reconstructing the temple that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And so they go back in one wave and now Ezra is coming back about 70 years later after that first wave and trying to get Israelites to do what they should do and want to go back to the Promised Land so they can serve God there at the temple and offer the sacrifices that they need to offer for the atonement of their sins. And so last week we looked at Ezra chapter 8, verse 1 to 14 and saw that... Ezra particularly got at the Israelites by going after family heads. And I stress the importance of fatherhood and how fathers can have a great influence on future generations. And that would have been a perfect Father's Day sermon, except it didn't fall uh, today. Uh, it would, I was thinking that this morning. That would have been a perfect sermon. But, of course, in the providence of God, that's uh, how the cookie crumbles, so to speak. And so this morning we get to verse 15, and we see Ezra trying once more to drum up support, get people to go back to the promised land like they should. So why does he do this, though? Why does he have another go at trying to get these people back? Is it because he's just naive? Is he flogging a dead horse here and trying to get people to go back? They know they can go. Artaxerxes has said you can go. Why Why does he try again in verses 15 through verse 20, which is what we'll be concentrating on this morning? Well, that brings me to my first main point this morning. If you've got a church bulletin there, you can see my main points on the back there if you'd like to follow along. My first main point is that Levites are needed for God's work. Ezra is going after a particular group of Israelites, and that is the Levites. And they're needed for God's work back in the land of Israel. Why are Levites needed back there? Well... Levites were needed to do certain tasks around the temple. There were certain jobs in the temple of God that no one else was allowed to do. It only was the Levites that were allowed to do those things. There were priests from the tribe of Levi that were supposed to do the offerings, but there were many other tasks, not just making sacrifices, that were restricted to the Levites. And Ezra needs those Levites back in Israel, back in Jerusalem. How does uh, does Ezra find out that there are no Levites though? Well, we read that in verse 15. What do we read in verse 15 of Ezra chapter 8? Found on page 468. It'd be good if you've got a church Bible there to follow along. Ezra 8 verse 15, it says I assembled them at the canal that flows towards Ahava and we camped there three days. When I checked among the people and the priests, I found no Levites there. Ezra takes a bit of a break. He's Got this journey, which he's very eager to to go on. He wants to be back in Jerusalem, but he takes a delay of three days there. Seems like a bit of a waste of time, but he's checking. He's checking whether he has everything that he needs to go back, and that includes Levites. He wants to make sure he has temple servants, people who can go back and serve in the temple. Because remember, Ezra is someone who knows the law very well. A few sermons ago, we looked at Ezra and how he was trained in the law, and he knows God's law, and he knows that Levites are the only ones that can serve in certain tasks. And if he doesn't have Levites, then he can't fulfill the law. And so he makes sure, he takes some time, have we got any Levites among us? Who's here? Who's going back with us? And he finds out that there are no Levites among them. No one there to serve when they get back to the temple. Now, is it surprising that the Levites are absent? Shouldn't the Levites be the ones that are really eager to go back? They're the ones that will serve at the temple. They should be all the more eager than all the other tribes to get back to the land of Israel. Well, remember why people are not wanting to go back? It's because, of course, in Babylon, many of the Jews were prospering greatly. They loved being in Babylon. They had lots of luxury there. They had good jobs. And remember that Levites had particular restrictions on what they could and couldn't do back in the land of Israel. And what is one of the things that Levites couldn't do? They couldn't own land in Israel. God said... Everybody else gets land, but Levites, don't no land for you because you inherit the temple. You inherit God. And so they weren't allowed to own land. But back in Babylon, ah yes, you can buy all the land you want. You can have as many houses as you like, as prosperous as you are. You can go for it because you're not in the land of Israel. And so many of the Levites would have been very wealthy over in Babylon. They would have owned lots of land and they would have had lots of luxuries from those lands, from their possessions that are there. And so you can see that they wouldn't be so eager to give up all that land and go back to an area where they don't have any land. And also, in Babylon, what are they doing there? What's their job? They're not serving at the temple. There is no temple in Babylon. So they've got other jobs. They've learnt other trades, which means if they go back to Israel, what's they're going to have to do? They're going to have to go back to menial temple tasks they can't do the jobs that they might really enjoy doing in babylon they're going to have to give up those jobs and return and start doing god's work god's work you know it's all good but i'm not trained in god's work and i don't particularly like the idea of doing god's work when i go back and they'd have to give up their professions they'd have to give up their land and so is it surprising that amongst the people going back there's no levites to be found Because think about the other Israelites. They can go back, they can get some land, they can sell off their land in Babylon, buy some land when they get back to Israel. They can keep doing the job that they were doing in Babylon back in Israel. Whereas the Levites, uh uh-uh, they're going back to a place where they can't have land and they can't work the jobs that they've been doing. So it's not surprising that there's no Levites present. So what is Ezra to do? He's noted that there's this problem. I don't have Levites, I need Levites. What am I going to do about it? And that brings me to my second main point this morning. Levites are recruited for God's work. Ezra recruits these Levites for the work back in the land of Israel. How does he do this? Well, there's five ways that we can see in the text that he does it. Firstly, he uses the influence of family heads. In verse 16, what does he do? He says, So I summoned Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, El-Nathan, Jarib, El-Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshullam, who were leaders, which is the translation of the word head, uh, which we've seen before in last week, family heads. He goes after people of influence in the community. He's done that before and he's doing it again. He's going after people who are influential, leaders in the community. That's the first way that he tries to uh, get these Levites. He gets people of influence. And then he also gets, says in verse 16, after those list of uh, names, and it says, who were leaders, and Joarib and Elnathan, who were men of learning. Um, basically, he's got wise men, two men. He's got nine family heads, men of uh, leaders in the community, and then he gets two wise guys. Because just because someone's a family head doesn't always mean they say the wisest of things. And so he's making sure I've got nine influential guys, leaders, but I'm also getting two guys who've got their brains switched on. Uh, I'm getting two guys who are men of learning. And then so he has these eleven guys, and what does he do? Third thing he does is sends them to Ido, the leader in Casaphia. He sends them to another leader sends them to someone else who is influential and we assume that this place Cassaphia, is a place where there's lots of Levites around so he goes to the place that's got the Levites and he, he sends these 11 guys to the place that's got the Levites and sends them to an influential guy in that area not just sends them to the place where there's Levites so that they can try and drum up some support there no sends them to an influential guy in Casaphia. and then fourthly what does he do I told them what to say to Ido and his kinsmen, the temple servants in Kasaphia. He makes sure they say what he thinks they should say. Ezra, after all, is the one who is schooled in the law. He knows the law forwards and backwards. And so if someone's going to convince these Levites, Ezra is a guy who's probably going to know how to do it. He's going to know the scriptures that they should use and influence those people. And so he doesn't just send these influential heads, he doesn't just send these two wise men, he also says, okay, here's a script uh, to take with you. Here is what I want you to say to Ido and his kinsmen in Casaphia, so that they might bring attendance to us for the house of God. And then fifthly, one last thing he does is I'm sure he looks to the gracious hand of God because that's what he says in verse 18... Uh, when he actually gets these Levites he says in verse 18 because the gracious hand of our God was on us they then brought and we see the results then I'm sure um, Ezra prayed a lot because otherwise he would never have said because the gracious hand of our God was on us he made sure that it was going to be God's favour that brought Levites back. He could send family heads, he could send wise men, he could send them to an influential man in the area, he could tell them what to say, but ultimately all that's up the creek if God doesn't show his hand a blessing, if God's good hand isn't on them. And so I'm sure he prayed a lot. And so what was the result of Ezra's recruitment strategy? Well, we read in verse 18 to 20 what happened. Because the gracious hand of our God was on us, they brought us Sherabiah, a capable man, from the descendants of Mali, son of Levi, the son of Israel, and Sherabiah's sons and brothers, 18 men. And Hashabiah, together with Jeshiah, from the descendants of Merari, and his brothers and nephews, 20 men. So there we see we've got 18 men in verse 18, and then 20 men in verse 19. So they've got 38 Levites. And then, not just... Those Levites, what else does he get? In verse 20, they also brought 220 of the temple servants, a body that David and the officials had established to assist the Levites. All were registered by name. Temple servants are people, uh, if you go right back to when I first started Ezra, uh, we saw some temple servants going back in the first wave. They're people who aren't Levites and... Usually were enemies that had been conquered, and that's why David had instituted them because he conquered a lot of people. Um, They were people who did tasks that were needed for temple work, but weren't directly related, uh, weren't directly temple work. So that God had said only Levites could do it. So they were often woodcutters. So who likes chopping wood? Uh, No, we'll give it to the conquered guys, Um, and they can be the the woodcutters. And you see that with um, when they conquer. Uh, the land of Israel with Joshua the Gibeonites make this treaty uh, falsely with uh, the Israelites and what do the Israelites do as a result they make them woodcutters they make them people who chop up wood and uh, and bring water for work at the temple and so we've actually got 38 Levites going back and then 220 of these temple servants these hard laboring guys want to go back as a result of Ezra's recruitment strategy here. And this is a wonderful result, really. Because you think about it, they're going right away. They've taken three days at the canal there, but everybody else is champing at the bit. They've asked people to drop everything and come. And that's what these guys have done. Realistically, we'd hope they would have done it earlier, but they've done it now. At the last minute, they've signed up to go back to the land of Israel. Now what is the lesson for us today? Well, we face a similar situation. We have work to do as Christians. And often we find that Christians are absent from doing God's work like the Levites were not wanting to do God's work back in Israel. But are Christians needed for God's work? Are Christians needed? Well, that brings me to my third main point. Christians are needed for God's work. Christians are not needed in the sense that God needs anyone. I mean, Romans 11 says, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? He asked that question. And the clear answer is no one. No one's ever given anything to God that God owes something. God doesn't need you. The whole world is his. All the animals, all the land, you may think you own your land, but no, 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 God owns it. The whole world is his. He doesn't need you in the sense that he then owes you for what you do. But God loves to use Christians to bring about the advancement of his kingdom. And we're called God's workers in different ways many times in the New Testament. Just 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And then it talks about how we should build and make sure we're using the right materials in building God's kingdom. We are God's fellow workers. And so only Christians can do God's work as well. We've got to note that that only Christians can advance God's kingdom. Everybody else, what are they doing? They're advancing the kingdom of darkness. They're serving idols. They may not serve them in that they bow down to them, but they've got different pleasures. Their own heart may be their own idol. Maybe their stomach's their idol. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd probably be worshipping my stomach. I love to eat. Um, We worship different things. It's only Christians that advance God's kingdom. And so God uses us to do his work, but sadly many Christians do not want to do God's work. And why is that? Similar reasons to the Levites. What was the Levites' problem with going back to the promised land? They didn't want to give up their luxuries in Babylon. They didn't want to give up the jobs that they had that they really enjoyed, take time out of their busy lives to do God's work. And that's the same for us today. We see an example of that in the New Testament with Luke 18 where Jesus confronts a rich young ruler and says to him, Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. He did not want to do God's work in giving up his money for the poor and following Jesus. He didn't want to give it all up. He loved his money. And it's the same reason not necessarily money, but the same reason, a love for pleasures of this world that stops people from doing God's work. It's a love of worldliness. That's the reason people don't go to church. They want to sleep in Sunday morning, worship the God of sleep. They want to That's the reason people don't go to Bible studies, prayer meetings, read God's word privately. They love the luxuries, the other things in their lives. And they don't want to sacrifice them to do God's work. When they, want to, when they should be witnessing to someone. They'd much rather be watching TV or talking about something else with that person than talking with that person about the gospel. So can anything be done to counteract people's, uh, Christians' lack of desire to do God's work? Well, that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. Christians are recruited for God's work. Christians can be recruited for God's work. How? Well, similar ways that ezra used firstly christians need to look at where god's work needs to be done firstly you've got to see a need for god's work and we need to take time to look around us and look for where we can be working for god it seemed like a waste of time that ezra spent three days he could have been three days on his trip three days earlier at jerusalem But he took time to look at, have I got everything to do God's work? Have I got Levites? And he found that he didn't. And we need to do that as well. Otherwise, we can go on in oblivion and think that we're doing fine when there's lots of stuff around us that God would have us do and we're not doing it. And then, what can we do? Well, then influential and wise people need to encourage people to do God's work. Just like people of influence and wise people got Levites to go back to the promised land, so the same can happen today. Family heads, people of influence in communities, should be exercising that influence, particularly fathers, grandfathers, should be influencing children and those people under them that they have influence over to do God's work. And then leaders in communities, like um, the community of our church, The elders of the church should be encouraging people to do God's work. And then everybody should be exercising whatever influence they have themselves. We all have influence on other people around us to some extent. And most of all, we have influence on ourselves. We can influence ourselves to do God's work as well. Now, how should you do that? How should you try and exercise influence? Well, I suggest you do what Ezra did here and... Make sure you use wise words that you get from somewhere else. So these men, they took Ezra's words and used those to influence Levi to go back, and we should do the same. Where do we get wise words from to encourage us to do God's work? From this book. Get them from God. He tells you what you should be up to. He tells you why you should be up to those things, why you should be reading your word. God's Word, why you should be praying, why you should be telling the gospel to others, why you should be a part of a local church and going on rosters and serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Use God's Word to influence others and influence yourself. When you feel like not doing God's work, go to the scriptures and see there that it tells you to do so, do God's work, and then that should have an influence this is a living book it can make those worldly passions that you have to do something else dissipate and so that you enjoy doing god's work because you know you're fulfilling god's commands that's what you should be doing and then what else can you do well what else did i suggest ezra did from verse 18 it said because of the gracious hand of our god was on us and i assume that means that Ezra was praying very hard about God's work and that's what we should be doing as Christians as well. When we see a stubbornness not to do God's work, pray. Read the scriptures to get God's word there telling you what to do, influencing you, but pray as well. Say, why do I not enjoy serving my brothers and sisters in Christ? Why do I not enjoy going to church? Why do I not enjoy reading the Bible? God, please change my heart, because your will is that I should be doing those things. So make my will like your will, O God. Pray those kinds of prayers. Like Ezra would have been praying for these Levites, that God's gracious hand would raise them up. Because you can have family heads influence you. You can have wise men come along and influence you. You can have God's word and read it. But if God's gracious hand is not on you, You're not going to do anything for him. You're never going to get involved on a church roster. You're never going to share the gospel with someone else. You're never going to influence your own heart so that you pray and read God's word. You need to pray for those things. God's blessing on you. And then lastly, I want to look at who should be our ultimate example of someone who does God's work willingly. Because if we look around the room, or look around the world, it is very hard to see someone who does God's work willingly. We're all like the Levites in one way or another. And we all fail miserably when God asks us to do work. We find other things to do. There's always something on TV. And now I've discovered there's there's even more channels on our television network. I shunned TV for a couple of years, but now with the digital channels, there's just so many. There's always something on to watch. And we don't want to do God's work. Who should be our example well, that brings me to my fifth and last main point. Christians should follow God's example of service. See, what we see here, I think we see a little illustration of what God did. God the Father looked for a need, just like Ezra took some time to see if there are any needs around that he would need to fulfill back in Jerusalem. God the Father looked at the need of mankind, and what did he see? He saw that men, mankind... Needed their sins to be atoned. He saw that humans had a sin problem that needed to be resolved. And then what did he do? He sent someone to do that job. Just like Ezra sent people to get Levites to get that need resolved, who did God send? Well, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son He sent Jesus to go and do the work and do work that nobody else could do. Remember the Levites? They were going to do work that nobody else could do. If Ezra got other people to serve in the temple there, he would be breaking God's law. Who could atone for sin? Nobody but Jesus. God sent the only one who could take away human sin, All through history we see people trying to deal with the problem of human sin and they fail, 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 except for one, and that is Jesus. And then Jesus willingly went. Just like we've got Levites willingly going to do God's work, Jesus willingly did. He gave up stuff to go into this world and save people from their sin. And that's what we read in Philippians 2. It says about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. This is God we're talking about. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now you think Levites are pretty impressive, giving up their land their jobs, and going back to the land of Israel. Now think about Jesus. Someone who (laughs) rules the world, made the world, has always existed, coming into this world as a man. That's a big drop in pay grade. That's just enormous. And then not just coming into the world, but going to the cross to die. The most horrific, excruciating death man has pretty much been able to invent he did that because he saw that that needed to be done just like his father had seen it and so he said son go and he went willingly to do that and if you're not a christian and here this morning i want to encourage you to embrace jesus christ the one who did that for you if you repent of your sin and believe in his death for you. He offers his death at the cross as a payment for your sin so that instead of you being eternally punished in hell, he is punished for your sin on the cross. If you're not a Christian, I encourage you to consider your sin. You have sinned against the people around you and against God again and again. And one day you'll be called to give an account for that. But God in his mercy has seen your need and has provided a way of salvation, a way to go into heaven and have eternal life. And so I encourage you, if you're not a Christian, say sorry to God for your sin and trust that Jesus paid for your sin at the cross. But if you are a Christian, consider Jesus' example in serving. He is our our great example. Just consider it. What a job he had. You think cleaning church toilets is bad. Imagine cleaning up the filth of people's sin over generations and generations and generations. And someone that cleaned it up is the person who never sinned himself. Imagine what it felt like for Jesus who has recoiled from sin all his life resisted temptation to have your sin placed upon his shoulders and to take the debt that you owe to God. Amazing act of service. He is our example. If we feel like we shouldn't be doing God's work, we should look at Jesus' example and see how willingly he served in ways that we just cannot even imagine. Whatever God asks you to do in this world, it's not like paying for the sin of the world. It's not paying for the sins of Christians over and over and over again through the ages, through those generations, one after the other. It's nothing, whatever God asks you to do, in comparison to that. So serve God willingly. Are you someone that readily volunteers for God's work? Or do the things of this world keep you from attending church, Bible studies, prayer meetings, being involved on rosters, serving your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, serving people in your life are non-christians loving your enemies sharing the gospel is it things of this world that keep you from doing those things if it's yes which i encourage you all have done that in the past like i have then you need to repent and trust in jesus for forgiveness for rejecting his work in the past and then start to anew in your life go for god's work do things When needs come up, when someone taps you on the shoulder and says, we need this to be done, don't run away, do it. Are you someone who encourages others to use gifts? We all have gifts given to us and we all have influence with those around us. Are you someone who encourages people to serve? And do you encourage yourself to Christian service by reading scripture? You should always, if you're a Christian, be reading Scripture regularly because as you're there, you're being fed and encouraged to do God's work. Are you someone that regularly reads Scripture, feeds yourself on Scripture and memorizes Scripture so that when you feel like not doing God's work, the memory verses come up in your brain and they encourage you to soldier on? And are you someone that prays that you will do God's work? Like Ezra prayed that Levites would do it. Are you someone who prays for yourself that you'll do God's work and then other people will do God's work? Ezra would have been praying for these Levites. Are you praying for brothers and sisters in Christ that they will serve God? Not just this church, but in Australia and throughout the world. Are you a Christian who prays for God's work to be done? Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, We thank you that you give us that enormous privilege of serving you, that you allow us to be your ambassadors, your fellow workers. But Lord, we recognize in our hearts we are sinful creatures and we shy away from your work all the time. We would much rather engage ourselves in the pleasures of this world. Lord, we pray that this may not be. We pray that we may have the influence of those around us to encourage us and spur us on to do God's work. We pray that we may influence ourselves. Lord, we pray that we may read your scripture regularly, be influenced by your scripture to do your work as we should. And we pray that we may regularly pray about our apathy towards your work. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.